the moment that you become stagnant and static is the moment that you're no longer a contributor to your ecosystem. What's shaking? Rick Jordan back with the All In Podcast, and I'm here with Coach Cam. What's shaking, my man? Hey, glad to be here and enjoying this beautiful fall weather. Um, we we typically get two seasons in Texas, hot and and not as hot. So so maybe we can get some actual brown leaves this year. That's great. <laughs> no snow, hopefully. No snow. I mean, I, yeah. that, I know no. that like sprinkles in every now and then, but. You know, about every seven years, so I'm in Houston. So a point of reference, Dallas is four hours north. Yep. Uh, Austin is three, you know, two and a half, three hours, you know, northwest. So we get uh, what we call snow about once every six years. I mean, it doesn't stick. I mean, by the time the sun comes up, like you guys would laugh at it up there, but we cancel school. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Let's say everybody freaks out, right? <laughs> yeah. No doubt, man. I, I have uh, family that lives in Nashville, and you know they might get like a max of two inches. It's, you know, I've never talked about weather on the show before. This is crazy as a, as we're talking about this. But they, they get they get max maybe two inches. But the same thing, they close all the schools because they just don't have plows. They don't invest in these things because they typically don't need them. So I'd imagine Houston would be the same way. But Houston, I mean, dude, it's like I got an Aston Martin, right? That thing goes into storage in Chicago from November through the end of yeah, March because there's no drive in that in Chicago during those months. But uh, what happens in Houston? I mean, I'm sure the nice cars get like put away or people start to freak out just by like a dusting, right? Yeah, there's no storage. You just put it away during hurricane season. Oh, nice. <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic, yeah. man. That's in, cool. End of July to about right now, you, you'd put it on the second floor of a storage facility. But as soon as the weather cracks sub 75, it's coming right back out. Oh, nice. That's all. I, I wouldn't have even <laughs> thought about that hurricane season. But again, you want that thing out there. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. That's it, insane. It, it, this, a, that, that's a very expensive floating uh, device. For sure. Right on. Dude, <laughs> talk about hurricanes, man. This year, as if, you know, 2020 with everything else going on couldn't be crazy enough. You know, I know we're going to have White Walkers at the end of the year come. You know, if you ever watch Game of Thrones, they're going to pop up. But still, the hurricanes. What the heck is the deal with the hurricanes this year? Because you're right there in the middle of all this stuff. You, you know, it's, it's, it's a relatively consistent season i think that you know we, we probably in the gulf the gulf coast so you know southeast texas yeah. kind of through the pan, panhandle to mexico i mean uh florida you get a couple that make contact a season i mean that's consistent um i just i feel like everyone's just on the butt edge of their seat so everything is getting full media attention you know this this hurricane season you know, as a point of reference, in 2017, when we got Hurricane, um, uh, what's the last one to come? Oh, shoot, I just lost Hurricane Harvey. You know, two or three weeks later, you know, Hurricane Maria came and wiped out Puerto Rico. So, I mean, that, as a point of context, is what a busy season looks like. This is just a regular season. Everyone's just at home now. So yeah. you're, oh, man, so you're yeah. watching the weather network. That makes yeah, so much difference. No, no kidding. You know, because this year with, with COVID and everything, the perspective on everything has changed because everyone's so much more right. in tune to what's going on. You know, I mean, even with the election and everything, I mean, the, the first off, the 
RNC and the DNC, both of those conventions, man, had like the lowest ratings in history because nobody wanted to watch them. And it, it was sad to me because the perspective on this is like now you had a chance and it, it, this has nothing to do with either side. I think both of them sucked just because they they thought that they could put on this thing and they went into it thinking they were going to do the same thing that they do every single year live in person, but then they just throw it up on YouTube or, or something like that. And it was mind-blowing because people's perspectives have changed. Like with the hurricanes, just like you said, I, I never would have thought of that, man, because everyone's at home now, so they're recognizing, hey, this thing's coming for me. What do I do? Right. Yeah, so it's funny you say that. So, so the DNC to me and again like you know i think i'm glad that you brought it up i think the civility of talking about the political arena without getting political is like disappearing right so like to have just to have this conversation without going there you know what i mean so i feel you so the dnc the dnc to me felt like a blender so do you remember like in the mid 90s when your cable box was like this big (laughs) and and you just like it was like QVC, ESPN, right? So what it felt like was like the DNC tried to go mid-90s cable and we're going to find something for the early voters, something for the, you know, the millennials. So I'm technically a millennial. I'm an old millennial, but I'm technically a millennial. So like, so it felt so segmented. You could like feel like, okay, here's the grandpa section and Joe Biden was sitting in front of a big screen and it's like, hey, Papa, how you doing? Right? So it felt like. <laughs> it was so, like a bad transmission on a 30-year-old car, like trying to shove and, it into the next gear. Yeah, yeah right. So <laughs> it felt like the DNC was trying to catch all which you know like you try to catch everyone you catch no one and then the rnc was weird obviously just because of the nepotism and just like it just felt like an inside glimpse into the trump family reunion (laughs) 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 like oh here's his uncle fester coming in to you know to to give his official stump speech you know oh my god that's that's hilarious man this i mean starting off already this episode has gone nowhere that i expected it to go and i'm loving it man this is this is great uh you're you're right though man because i was on uh I was on a show right before July 4th, and it was with an awesome black dude and a Hispanic dude, and we were talking politics without talking politics, right around Independence Day. And I really feel, I mean, I love the color purple for me because it's weird because I have values that kind of resonate if you want to, like, choose a side of the aisle that resonate with both sides of the aisle. You know, and it's interesting because I look back, it's like I'm more of like the, I have a lot of things in line with the Democratic Party from, like, JFK era. Right. And then mm. some other things that from like the, the Republican Ronald Reagan era, you know, that are now blended together. And one reason I love purple is because it's the color of luxury. It's the color of royalty, but it's also the color of unity. And it is literally the blend of the colors red and blue. And I didn't even that's think right. about that until like election year this year. I'm like, holy crap. It's like, that's exactly how I feel. And those conversations are the conversations that we need to keep having, man. Because I find out that a well, lot that, of people like to, <clears throat> sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but a lot of people really want no, the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, so first off, you know, I think like you, you know, so I'm, I'm a, I'm an African-American athlete from the South and a Christian, right? Which means those four psychographics mean i have like relatively somewhat conservative values like just that box set sure right but then 
I'm I'm a I'm an endangered species. I'm physically threatening and intimidating to a lot of like white people, <laughs> right? Just call it what it is. And you know, I'm a capitalist. I'm a I'm a social capitalist, but I am a capitalist, right? So it's like so those kind of put you here. And so I think to your point, eighty percent of America's purple, bro. Yeah. You got your ten yep. percent that are blue, your ten percent that are red. We all want the same thing, right? We we all want opportunities. We all want if you opt out of capitalism and you choose to, you know, do whatever for work and career, that's your choice, and you should be safe there. But if you opt in for guys like you and I, I mean, I don't want to be capped on what I can earn. I, I don't necessarily believe. Well, while I do understand the necessity for government. Right. And this is kind of where, you know, my ethical values are. I do believe in putting yourself up by the bootstraps, but I also understand, especially as a person of color, that there are some people who don't even have shoes on their feet. Sure, man. Right. And yeah. so the government should be there to be a resource, not to throw shoes at you, but to say, here's some leather. Now, let me show you how to put some how to build some shoes. Now, pull yourself up. Right. And so there as policy as as contentious as politics and ethical values are in politics, you know, again, for us even to have this conversation, you know, beat so many norms because there's somebody listening saying this guy's got this stump and this value. And, you know, there's a, I had a conversation recently um, with two people from the Republican and the Democratic Party here in, in the area. And they were, you know, kind of gauging my interest in running for a position. And, you know, both conversations led to me pointing. I'm not sure if you've seen the most recent cover of Forbes magazine. Uh, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, is on the cover. And I asked him this question, right? So I'm like, so what's your value system on this guy, right? So billionaire, self-made, whatever, doesn't pay a lot of taxes. And, you know, without telling you which party said which, both of them had fault. And I'm like, here's the thing, dude. I don't, if I were to slap Reed Hastings with a million dollar tax bill, I'd much rather slap him with the obligation of saying, keep your million bucks, go build a $2 million school that can put out fires and fix problems for the kids who are racking up student loan debt. They have no that should not be in school, yeah. right? So the trade, the trades aren't in school. HVAC, plumbing, you know, auto mechanics. You know, every, the idea that every kid is a college kid is a broken dream. I mean, it's just not realistic, right? So, you know, the idea to me of social capitalism is yes, pursue your opt into the game and and whatever you know accoutrements you want to gather. But at the same time, you have to understand that if you don't pour back into the ecosystem, you know, that you're going to be shortchanged, right? So the kid who's racked up $100,000 only to figure out that he shouldn't be a civil engineer is the same guy who's going to, you're going to need to repair, you know, the engine on your Aston, right? And so helping our ecosystem from a holistic standpoint goes a whole lot further than just slapping tax bills to people and, you know, pay like, yes, pay more. I understand that, but it's not a dollar amount that needs to get paid. It's an impact that needs to get, and most times the impact does come in dollars. I'm not saying that, Yeah, but I'm with you. I'd much rather have Reed Hastings ingenuity, creativity, and special sauce fixing problems than him just cutting a cold check. Sure, man. And I feel you on this because I think you're hitting on a couple of points. If you look at the majority of the politicians that are slapping those tax tax bills on, they are all typically like older generations, not like you and me. Right. So the, I don't know what the mindset is, but at the same time, the tax implications that they're putting in place right now are never going to affect them. 
because uh, some of these are even like deferring the effectiveness five and ten years in some of this legislation that they're proposing. And that's an amazing concept. And I've always thought this being an entrepreneur myself, like, you know, if you're going to slap me with a million dollar tax bill, you know how many jobs I could provide for that million dollars? You know, you know what kind of education I could dump back in or donate that somewhere, you know, rather than paying the taxes. So where's this money actually going? And of course, that's just a rhetorical question. But do, I've, I have not heard that much of a straight line out of really anybody, except in this conversation, everything you just said, because it just makes sense. And when you say the whole country, like 80% of us are purple, isn't that really what we want anyways? Something that just makes sense. And that isn't like a a reactionary quick fix. We need more money to fund these government programs. We need to look at something long-term that has to do with our social economic ecosystem. That's the stuff that we should be putting in place and putting line items in the budget. I mean, we're, we're human trafficking is a line item in the federal budget, right? You know, th- those types of things. And man, I, uh, you're going to be excited because I, uh, you're going to give me on a stump speech here in a second here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so, so two, two things you need to know about me. So my dream job as a kid was to be a politician, right? So uh, I got to see a poli side my freshman year and said, oh, <laughs> what's plan B? Right? So, so get, giving and serving has always been just like a part of what defines who I am. And, um, you know, the most recent company I launched, Texas Athletic Construction in 2017, that's what that's what I've been. So, so we um, I launched it and designed it intentionally to be a disruptive, you know, have a disruption model. What I did not intend was the unique value proposition that we created. So 2017, um, I'm a Christian, it's it's Lent season and just going through the struggle that, you know, people, most people do during the season. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I'm like, dude, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be giving, I'm supposed to be serving. I'd already started my scholarship found foundation and, um, my turkey drive. But at the same time, it's like, I know I'm opting into this capitalism game. I need to figure out like, how do I drive my business? And and Rick, I literally married the two together. And so what I do in my sports construction company is as we're awarded or as we receive projects, either commercial or residential, I earmark a large amount of our revenue back into the community. So for residential jobs, if you were to tell me you wanted a, a tennis court in your backyard, and let's say that's you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars. I'd say, well, you know, I'll charge you one twenty, one twenty-five. You go write a twenty-five thousand dollar check to that nonprofit, and I'll go get you know, I'll go do some community programming to make an impact in our community. And so, you know, I, most answers, most problems are the answers are simple. Right. It's just can we can we move ego out of the way? Can we move our own best interests? Like with that twenty five thousand dollars, like would I mind that in my pocket? Of course not. But but again, having a giver's spirit, not only does that allow me a pathway to get the work that I want to get done, but what what I didn't intend for it to do, but what it created was a unique value proposition, right? So the next guy coming in to bid this project, you know, like, yeah, our price may be comparable, you know, comparable, our craftsmanship may be the same, but why would you award that guy the project when we can partner together for the same price and we can do double good? And then what I didn't realize until the end of the project that I did was, you know, now at the end of the year, not only do you have the tennis court you want, you've been a part of an amazing community project, but that nonprofit is now sending you a, a letter yeah. for $25,000 for, 
yeah. right? So like, so not only, so, so yeah, I mean, by seeking to do the best version of good, you get all these extra additives that, you know, that was never the intended desire. I love that. Those side benefits that you never expect, you know, being a Christian myself too, man. I mean, giving is just something that is really close to me and I'll, I never give to get, but it's amazing to me the the reciprocation that happens with something like that, you know, and I closed a bunch of amazing deals in my cyber business this past month. And immediately it was like, my first thought was sweet. What can I give away? Who can I help? Mm. You know, because it's like if I'm entrusted with a little, then I know I'm going to be entrusted with much. As long as I do good with the little, then I'm going to be given much. And it's you just keep leveling up the entire time. At least this is what I found, man. Because you start with, you know, again, being a Christian, you start with like the tiniest amount. And even if you don't think you have it, when something comes across your plate, just give to that. You know, even if it's like ten bucks. Does it to somebody yeah. on the street or something like that? You get wiser as you go along and you start to do this, of course, because now it turned into instead of giving somebody money, now it's what do you need it for? You know, I'm asking questions. Okay, right. you need food. Right. Awesome. You know what? There's a Chipotle right there. How about I walk in there right now and get you some tacos? Because that's what you're telling me you mm-hmm. need the money for. That's cool. And most of them are just ecstatic because now they're, hey, you're fulfilling an immediate need in helping this individual. Or I'll ask questions for somebody selling candy. It's like, what are you going to do with this? Or somebody knocking on my door selling a newspaper subscription for college tuition. What, what do you really need? You know, how much do you get? These are my questions being from an entrepreneurial standpoint. How much do you right. get towards your tuition? tuition every time you sell me or sell anybody these newspaper subscriptions and first nobody reads a newspaper anymore so i I realize this kid is in a tough spot to begin with because he's selling physical papers being delivered to your house i'm like dude nobody's gonna read this (laughs) right the the only reason they're gonna get this is to help you but then it's you know what do you get he's like i think i get like 15 dollars. i'm like dude i appreciate your hustle here i'm gonna give you a hundred dollars right now Put this towards mm-hmm. your college tuition. That way you don't have to sell this. And he's like, but I, I need, but then it comes back to, I need to make my numbers too. It's like, okay, cool. I'll sign up for the subscription and I'm going to give you a hundred dollars because of the good, decent conversation that you just had with me and that you were vulnerable. You were open and told me what your needs were. And because you knocked on the right door today with somebody who likes to serve other people. That's what I'm doing. And then the next day, I swear, man, what, every time this happens, it's like the very next day, something comes through to where it's like the $100 turns into $10,000 for me the very next day. I was like, hey, I didn't even intend this. I was just trying to help a kid go to college. That's all it was. And that's what that's that circle, man. So why the million-dollar tax? It comes back to that, right, to, to the CEO of Netflix. Well, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. So, so would it would it take the takeaway for me? So, first off, you know, to to close what you just said, folks who are non givers miss out on the selfish benefit of giving. Like it, it's, yeah, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I'm not a drug guy, right? But I mean, if if I were to be really high, I have to imagine that's what it feels like the euphoria, right, of like giving is you know even when you. Let's say do it for selfish reasons, even when you do it because you want that feeling. Like I enjoy the feeling of giving to other people, like the feeling it gives me. If people understood how amazing that feeling is, that you know, we'd be as a country in a much different place. Um so that's my thought on that. You know, the, the idea of of the Reed Hastings tax, like yes, we need cities and streets and sewers, and again, like you guys need plows, we need um, updated uh, bayous for for you know drains for hurricanes. So it's like yes, I do understand that we all have a civic duty to make the place that we share 
um, enjoyable. But even that idea, right? So, so you know, Texas is long a Republican state, which you know has conservative values. Uh, Houston or TxDOT, the the transportation organization, for the first time, and I can't tell you how long, instead of um, expanding a freeway and doing it in-house, privatize a project. And mm, yeah. it is um, what easily would have taken 15 years. Like, I bullcorn you not. Like, it, it's a long stretch. It's probably 30 miles. It's a very long stretch of freeway. It's going to be done in less than five. I mean, and done so clean and so effectively because they privatize it, right? So every six months, my contract is up for renewal, which means I've got to be on my A game. There's no space for me to lack off as a contractor because if I want to have a shot to get the next quarter mile, they, they, they bid it out quarter mile at a time for this freeway so every quarter mile you got contractors who are coming in at or under budget on or before a deadline because they want to have a shot to get that next quarter mile and so it's like that's how you you know that's how you integrate government with you know with private business and it works beautiful because the benefactor are us citizens who get to enjoy you know quickly moving freeway versus you know another monstrous you know over overspent out of budget some so and so is out of office now is no longer a priority and so yeah i mean i, I think that uh, there's been such a strong dichotomy of of government and private sector not big business but like medium small to medium business and small to medium businesses where all the superheroes are. That's so true. I, I, there's some days I feel like a superhero. I mean, I'm small business, right? Moving into medium-sized business, but it's because of that fulfillment that you're talking about, that high that you get. You're dead on, man. It's almost like it's serving others is selfishly unself-serving. They're selfishly non-self-serving because <laughs> you know what's going to happen after. And I know it's going to happen after because it's like, awesome, here's a, something else that's crossing my plate. It, when you're talking about the privatization of a lot of these projects, too, you know, that's also putting jobs out there for everyone else that, that needs them in those moments. And you get the benefit of having something done in a third of the time, too. You know, imagine if government ran like a business did. You know, and I know that's actually like some of the the ideas that even our current president has, whether you like him or not, the dude knows how to run business. But still, what if there was metrics like performance indicators of government bodies and they had to compete? Like even if we're just talking state bodies and they had to compete for tax dollars. Yeah, you know, it, it's not. It's just a crazy idea, people. Because there's all these different demographics and geological, uh, just at different races, different. You know, because you have different things like hurricanes in Texas versus Las Vegas would have. You know, flash floods coming down from the mountains, right? Different scenarios, different types of natural disasters that could affect different areas. But those being on an equal playing field, imagine if local governments had to compete for tax dollars by showing historical good performance. And that would also determine who would live in and around those communities too. Because I, I think about me coming from Illinois, there's been a mass exodus of Illinoisans over the past five years because of how ridiculous the taxes are here and how ridiculous yeah. some of the corruption of government is. And there's no competition. And now the state's looking for a federal bailout to try of grant money just to just to give to the state to try to succumb to so they don't have to succumb to a budget deficit. You know, something the other day, just the city of Chicago is facing a one point two billion dollar deficit. 
a shortfall just coming up here. That's a lot of cash, man. You know, and it's yeah. imagine if they had to compete for those things because I even came from 20 years ago having to write grants for uh, and gathering data in the technology field for homelessness. And I, all the data that I was able to put together for the social service agencies in and around Chicago ended up gaining another $14 million of federal grant money from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And that was like a competition almost because you're uh, there's lots of different agencies and communities submitting these things to HUD. And then they're picking out the best that have the best plans with them, those that can actually show a track record. And that's what the data did. That's what That was my part of it is showing the track record. And that was just mind-boggling and also just eyes wide open to me when I saw how real data and real performance can actually influence dollars coming from the federal government. Uh, and where did that go? You know, imagine if that existed right now, even for like police departments, man. <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah, well, well, police, we'll, we'll come back to that one. Um, <laughs> I'm I, not I, trying I to open a, well, a can I, with that, but it's, it's just... No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I have a very interesting theory on police and how to fix police is what I, what I mean by that. But so, you know, what you said reminds me, I get asked a lot from the soccer community, from the rugby community. Um, track is not as much now. But the question always is like, what if LeBron played rugby? What if JJ Watt or JJ Watt played rugby? What if LeBron played soccer? What if so and so played, you know, field hockey? And you know, the thought of not the argument of these, you know, these are sports that some people are exposed to. Not even that thought process. The fact of the matter is, you know, rugby, soccer, field hockey are all scrumming for relevance as a sport using third and fourth tiered athletes right because the fact of the matter is you could put the best athlete in field hockey u.s field hockey today on any playing service any training surface with a 10-day contract nba guy and that guy would i mean so the best athletes aren't playing these sports right so what i'm what i mean by that is the brightest minds aren't in aren't in business i mean i, I share yeah. myself like in government i share myself like i opted out of government once i realized that it would take me 10 years to make any type of consequential change i can do that as a private citizen running my own business to your point right so in like two weeks that, right in like two weeks right, that's, yeah. right. I, I don't i don't need to win an election kiss three babies oh five favors to host a turkey drive in the underserved part of my city or my community I can sell two projects <laughs> and, <laughs> and do that in six weeks. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I'm saying that to say like the best and brightest minds are, are not in politics. They're no longer in politics because there's no, so, so just, so you keep the Reed Hastings example, imagine Reed Hastings skill set of not his money skill set, ability, ingenuity, and creativity in an elected position. Like, think about regardless of what it was, regardless of his ethical values or his, his political values, whatever it is, he would admit, he was supercharged. Game changer. Whatever position he was in. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah. That, that guy's never considered running for, for office. Yeah. And, and I can understand why. You, you would win that first quarter of his term for sure. See my tie in there? Oh, I yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious. <laughs> Dude, I, I want to, do you mind if we shift just real quick? Because I want to come back to the police thing too, because I want to hear what you have to say about that. It's just interesting to me. I was at the George Floyd Memorial uh, a couple weeks ago walking through that, and it was, it was, it was crazy to me because it was one of the most peaceful experiences I've ever had in my life. 
just a, just a, and it's different from there to Portland and you know how we were talking about difference you know just geographical psychological difference that differences that exist in certain parts of the country versus if something like that was in Portland it would still be pretty violent I would think versus I'm walking through this place in Minneapolis the George Floyd Memorial and it, no joke it was almost like we were back in like Woodstock in 1969 at least how I've read about it because it, it race didn't matter color didn't matter everyone was just coexisting and just grieving for what happened you know and it was just an interesting scenario for me to be a part of I'll never forget it my my entire life but you're going back to like Reed Hastings or we're coming back to that and you think of political terms you know even like a presidency is four years and everyone even talks about like their first 100 days when they're in office and they need like a quick win and something like that you've got a program that's uh, I'm very interested in this how to win the first quarter of your day right and I'm I'm interested how did that even come about because I know my morning routine and even coming in today because I'm batch recording five podcasts in a day Right, just back to back to back, so some quick lunches. And my my assistant Dan, he's like, make sure you do your routine tomorrow morning. You know, he's like he's like pounding <laughs> on me, and he knows that if I don't do that, you know, because immediately when I get up, <laughs> he's like, go to bed at the right time, get your butt up tomorrow morning, and do your normal routine, which for me is getting out of bed within five minutes. I eat breakfast immediately. I work out right after that. Then I have a protein mm-hmm. snack right after that. Then I shower. Then I go into the studio or the office or whatever else. That's my morning, five six days a week, you know. And I know, and he knows that if I don't do that, I'm off. You know. So what is your right. gig with the first quit? Is that what you're thinking of? Something like that? Yeah. So so the idea. So first off, I'm just guessing. I have no idea. Do you have any athletic background in your athletic experience in your background? I played baseball for nine years and, and soccer for yeah. four. So yes, and it was uh, the baseball was very organized. I could have gone into into the semi pros if I wanted to, but it's a, I just ended up going into technology, and I was actually going to be a cop first off too. That was the other thing. Yeah, which still I was going to join the military. There's another thing that's <laughs> the discipline, so, right? So, so, so well, not not just the discipline. So baseball mm-hmm. is the most consistent scheduled aligned sport in our culture i mean so so you think about regardless of what level you played if you played anything beyond middle school your your protocols in the daily right so so you think about you know let's just assume you played you know small time college ball your day-to-day from eight o'clock in the morning let's say on, on a road game to noon is the same clockwork 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 and so you know where when the first quarter came in for me was um i've built I'm a morning person I, I I'm very honest about my strengths and weaknesses and, and you know I understand that if I can win the off season going back to athletics if I can win the off season that's when champions are built right the idea that Pacquiao or Mayweather or Ronaldo or whoever you want to name yeah. strolls onto an athletic surface and dominates is is a non-athletic farce Right. Those champions are built in the offseason. And so, you know, without knowing it, I've created like a pretty, pretty awesome, pretty strong, you know, what I call offseason or, or preseason to my day. And, and the offseason for your day is four o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock. And so um, I wrote my first book last year, Alpha Redefined, and I did like a six city uh, promo tour. And at the end of the book signing, I would get the same question, like, like without fail, right? So as an entrepreneur, you realize that, like, wait a minute, this is a pain point potentially, right? Like this is necessarily an opportunity, but there's something here that I should continue to seek. 
and the question was how do you do so many things in one day right so you're a public yeah. speaker you do work with nfl clubs you do work with usa football you've got a sports construction company you're heavy in the community you, you know you spend time with your family right so and so my answer every time was rick like i win the first quarter of my day i, I get up early i have a routine i keep pretty consistent and I get back home and, you know, kind of like you said, debriefing with my team. And it's like, well, wait a minute, guys, like, like, have, have I been sitting on something that could be a resource to our clients and to, you know, our teammates and those who lean on us for this type of support. And so we, we spent about, you know, I'd say about six to eight weeks rolling this out with our current clients. And just like you talked about, like this, the response is like, you just get it. And so, you know, so that, so, so then you find this like uh, the, the looking up at what you think is the summit or the peak of a mountain. And it's like, OK, well, how do I get this to everybody? <laughs> right? like, and there's well, only so many clients again, right? I can take on. And, yeah, yeah, you, you find exactly, something that exactly. you get excited about. This is me, dude. I feel you. You find something you get excited about. It's like, I need to tell everybody right now. Right. Exactly. And, and, and so we took on more clients and, you know, you do everything as an entrepreneur, like that doesn't work. The bandwidth isn't there, the quality. And I'm one of those as an ex-athlete, like it's a game or no game, right? We don't, yeah. we're not rolling out junk. We don't, we don't do that. And so, you know, it's like, well, well, if we can package it, or how do we package it? If we can package it, if we can get this out to the masses, then, you know, I use the word ecosystem a lot, right? But like, if we can get this out to the masses, we can permanently, selfishly impact our ecosystem because going back to the construction example, I need whatever guy's working on that freeway on his A game. I don't need you to have a crap day today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I need yeah, you feeling no good when you get to your job to whatever you've got to do. And so, um, so that, so that's kind of how we came up with, and just really how to scale it. Now, one one challenge I will be transparent with you, um, I was extremely sensitive when it came to to pricing, right? I mean, I think that's one of uh, every entrepreneur's biggest challenges is, you know, how do you establish price point? How do you validate? How do you back in yeah, the yeah. value you provide to, you know, to to establish the price point? Well, you know, we we established our price point. But then, you know, going back to that servant's heart, just like a gut shot was like, dude, this is the middle. So I, I began writing the script in January. Um, we filmed the, fir- the first day of shooting was, was March 13th, right? So the beginning of COVID. And so, you know, there was this kind of pause of, do you sit on this for a while? Do you wait for COVID? Do you see how the economy is going to respond? And again, like having a service heart, the answer is like, no, you double down. So what you do is you offer tiered pricing, right? So you, we've got kind of our, our you know, top of the line, everything, all the bills, all the whistles. Then we have kind of a, a, a medium price, but then we have, you know, one course, or what we call um, when the first quarter of your day essentials, that will always be $97. Like, like yeah, the last yeah. thing you want is for there to be a barrier for folks to when you're trying to help them and try to help them um, increase their performance. For sure, man. And you'll get different psychological profiles of every individual too. And this is key for everyone. Is that I, when I go back to when I first hired, because you're talking about really like a coaching program. I mean, you're Coach Cam, right? And their courses, but you become their virtual coach in a way. And I'm sure you have levels too in some of those. So where there's even some more types of direct access like most have. And I know that thinking back to when I was broke, I always 
wanted to have a mentor that could take me further than where I am right now. And mm-hmm. it's like, I think back to those tiers. It's like back in those days, I couldn't go for the diamond or the platinum, the top tier program that anybody offered just because I didn't have the money. It was rough for me to even sacrifice something in my life to even go for the lowest tier. You know, but that's what I could do at that point in time. And it's the, the theory of something is better than nothing. You, know, you have to start at some point. But then there's also the psychological thing about being all in. I mean, that's what I'm all about, right? Is just going into the deep end and starting right away. But there has to be every single decision that you come up with. I always think of those individuals from, the, from my servant's heart, too, of saying, what if they feel like they just can only take that one first step? What does it matter even if they can't, you know, take all 10 and say, I'm in this for the next year to get out of it everything I possibly can and I'm going to the top tier. But what if there's something that's just pulling them back? Because there could be you know, there could be a spouse they're married to that's mentally abusive, verbally abusive. That's saying, oh, you're never going to amount to anything, right? And they're thinking, well, if only I could just take the first step. And that $97 could be that very first step. And if that didn't exist from someone like you who's awesome and putting out that very first rung while they're trying to climb that ladder to a better life, to the best life they possibly can be, that person still might be stuck where they're at. So, man, I I appreciate your perspective on that because as a coach, you have to almost like meet people where they are. And this is almost coming back to like the Christian in me too, right? Because it didn't matter whether somebody was, you know, Jesus in and of himself almost turned his back a lot on the the high and the mighty and the affluent because mm-hmm. he said it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to enter into heaven, right? But then he would always go to the beggars, always the poor people that were ready to take just that one first step. You know, into yeah. a life that was better for them, you know, and th- this isn't even like spirituality. It's just conceptual. It's just principles, right? And you're that person that's in their life right now to where you can say, you know what, just take that one first step. That's what you need to do right now. And you know what, when you take that first step, then the next step is going to become more clear and it's going to be easier as you keep going to take those steps. The work you have to do is actually going to get harder. That's the secret, right? As you keep pressing through this stuff, a lot harder. But still, it becomes easier to take that step into that next phase. Yeah, you know, that's so true. You touched on something. The the Most of the words in our language come from either a Latin origin or a Greek origin, right? Coach, the word coach is one of the few American based words. And and literally, you know, the the word coach as we know it came from the word stagecoach. And so um everybody knows that lacrosse is like, you know, the Ameri- the first indigenous like American sport, like Native Americans playing lacrosse. Um and you know, the word coach came from um stagecoach drivers who would take athletes or take people to play from one colony or from one area to the other. And they were scared sometimes to go in the dark because again, mm-hmm. like country dark, I'm, I'm not sure how far you are in the country, but country dark is dark. <laughs> right? Right? You see all the and, stars and, though, right? <laughs> on the good night. Yeah. Yep. Right? And so, so you think about, you know, the job of a coach, the job of, of a coach is to get you from one place to the other even if you don't want to go, even yeah. if you're scared to go, like my job as a coach is to help you get there. And so, no, you, you're so spot on. And I think that, you know, not only understanding some of the setbacks that we don't consider, we don't realize because we're not in people's day-to-day lives, but just understanding that no matter who or where you are, times are hard now. And not, not even 
COVID, not even the economy, right? But it's easier to be overfed, oversexed, overdistracted, over social media, like 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 that distractions piece, that distraction place is more prevalent now than it's ever been. And yeah. so, you know, to your point, how do we as servants find ways to make ourselves available to folks um, without being spammy, without being right? So, so just as a resource, if you want a resource, I'm here, which is, again, a big part of why I'm glad to be on this show and some of the other shows I'm doing, like they're, they're, they're valuable nuggets. So for the person who's saying, I'm just not in a position to scrape up $97, then, you know, here's, here's a body of work, right? And so again, you know, information at some point should be free and accessible. But you also have to understand that when you piece it together, it's not as easy, right? So you've got to figure out where yeah. to find this piece, where to decimate this, how to apply this. But the trade-off is, you know, if you if you want to get better, there are folks like you and I who are here to help you get better. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh, when it, here's a question because there's this realization, right? And we're talking about taking these steps. So you've got winning the first quarter of your day. Where's that realization? Because you almost have to, this is a, because I've got all in, right? And the A is acceptance. And acceptance is not like accepting where you're at is saying it's okay. It's accepting the truth and the reality of where you're at. And that has to be saying, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm being honest with myself as far as where I'm at right now and realizing that something needs to change, right? Where is that in winning the first quarter of your day? Where do you realize it's saying, you know what? My days start out chaotically. How do you even come to that point to say, I need to make a shift here? Yeah, so um, the way having a, a bit of an educator's background, the, the curriculum of the course is written using a pedagogy format, which means, so, so pedagogy is the art of teaching, right? And so the, pl- the, the course contains modules. Within each module are smaller plays. The very first module was called um, Open Your Eyes. And so mm-hmm. as a person who I'm sure like you, and I'm driven, I'm ambitious, I'm, I'm all in and everything I do, you know, one of the trade-offs for me is I can um, allow anxiety to sneak up on me. I can let the stress, I put yeah. myself under so, I'm just a competitive person, right? And so the very first play, the very first module is called Gratitude or Grace. And so when you put your feet on the floor, when you start your day, there are some days yesterday, like I called for grace. I could feel the anxiety. Anxiety is almost like a little baby mouse, like creeping up on your back and it gets up to your oh, ears. And before wow. you know, it's like in your head, <laughs> oh, God. right? You can feel it like, from me, right? So it's like today, I just need grace, right? I just need the grace to get up, to flip the lights on, to brush my teeth, to get in the truck, to get it to get to the gym i just need the grace to roll with the windows down because it feels good i just want to have the grace of like feeling your wind hitting me to start my day then there are other days when you're feeling good and you've got that momentum and then you're calling on gratitude right i'm I'm, i just have the gratitude and the thankfulness to put my feet on the ground and the gratitude to have delicious toothpaste that like leaves my breath feeling confident as i go to the gym did you just say delicious toothpaste (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you, 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 you remember when toothpaste tastes like 
oh, punishment. Yeah. You, oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those days when it was, like, oh, I'm sure everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but just like straight up baking soda or something like that. That's baking what all soda, dude, that's right. That's, that's what baking soda on top of like. it, recipe. Yes. Oh, God, yes. yes right. Delicious so, toothpaste. You know what I'm grateful for sometimes, man? <laughs> two and three ply toilet paper. Okay, right. right. That's right. That's right. Yes. No, no Same cat thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, so then just even this conversation, it's like, man, we have so much to be thankful for, dude. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, in our, in our lifetime, in our lifetime, and again, I don't, you know, I, I, I didn't have the hardest life growing up, but I didn't have everything. Like, we had some of those peroxide, so like, what's your toothbrush? Dipping in peroxide, dipping in baking soda, brush your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so to go from like having a morning where the best morning started off with dipping my mouth in like pasty, you know, peroxide and stuff, to even on a bad day, I get to have like a whitening breath. It's just it's just like staying in the moment of being gracious. Yeah. Right. And like yeah. we talk about like opening your eyes. It's like you know, one of the things we talk about, and I, I travel quite a bit, or I did pre-COVID to, to speak, was, you know, when you are on a speaking circuit, you know, like anything else in life, you love it, you're on the road, you're in hotels, you're racking up miles, you get to see, I mean, I've seen, like, you know, our country is amazing. For those who don't travel, like, we live in the most beautiful country in the world. It really is, so, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the after the sexiness of travel wears off, you begin to have a little remorse, you know, leaving your family and looking, you know, just, just leaving your house. And so one of the things that I talk about and open your eyes is, you know, as you're calling for grace or gratitude, even if it's just a regular day and you're going to your home office, it's just putting eyes on the people that you care about um, and being thankful for even having them in your life and for, you know, watching someone sleep, I think, um, this sounds like a stalker thing, right? So, like in context, but like watching somebody sleep is beautiful. I mean, so just being it able is, to yeah, see the people sure. you provide for sleeping in peace. Yeah, right. On, and so man. for me, like, like, like this, this course is, you know, me being honest enough to say, like, I know my flaws, I know my strengths, but I know like really my weaknesses. And here's how I was able to offset some of those. But then the added bonus was in writing my book last year, I, I was able to interview, I think I interviewed uh, 12 millionaires, nine of them self-made, right? And so, you know, we talk about like wealth and health. It's like, yeah, you know, this is what I'm doing on my wealth journey, on my wealth path. But like LeVar Burton used to say on, on the Reading Rainbow, don't just take the like, don't just take my word. Like here, what <laughs> like this person has what you think you want or what you say you want. Here's what this person says about you know morning routines. Here's what this person says about affirmation. This is what this person says about journaling. This is what this person says about goal setting. This is what this person says about like how to build wealth. And so, um, you know, yeah, I I, I humbly. Um, do take credit for the formatting and the framework, but the best skill set and best practices, like any coach, is you know nothing is new under the sun. This is just me extracting the best from the brightest and aggregating it in a way that makes sense. That's awesome. You know, it's so fun too being in the coaching area because what you were saying too is, without saying it really, is that this is these are things that have worked for you. And I, I love this because everything that I do is stuff that's worked for me and it's going to resonate with certain groups of people that are out there. 
and then it won't resonate with somebody else. Like whatever programs I have will resonate with an audience that's ready to resonate with me. But for you, you know, whoever you resonate with, they might not want my stuff. And that's okay too, because what you've done will work for them. And what I do will work for a different, completely different crowd of people. And that's the beauty. I mean, you're talking about like the beauty of our nation too, you know, with geographically, Mm. but dude, it's, this nation is full of beautiful people too. And such diverse mindsets and needs and wants. And there's different groups that will always resonate with somebody else than another person. And that's also when it comes to a coach, you always have to be confident in that too and understand that you're not the end all and be all for most people. You know, because it, it, right off, off the bat, and I realized this right away, that half, half the people are not just not going to like me. And, and that's okay yeah. too because they're just and not going to. okay. Right on. And yeah. that's when you get to that point, even as a coach, because especially since COVID, man, this is f- crazy. You know, we've been doing this for years now, you and I, but COVID comes up and all of a sudden there's all these new life coaches that exist. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> these yeah. internet life coaches, now, right? <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's like, wait, you're now, forgetting. I'll, I'll, I still have a real business. Coach Cam still does real things rather than just being a coach. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. No, so it's so funny. I got in a uh, – uh, I'm a Texan, right? So, yep. you know, I, I shoot guns, I drive a truck, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm very much a Texan. And part of that is calling things how you see it. And so I end up getting in a unintentional, heated debate with the guys on this podcast last week. And we're talking about the term coaching. And I was like, you know, look, like respectfully, as a person who has spent a large time of, of his life as an athlete and a coach, I kind of have like a, a chip on my shoulder about all of these upsprout internet coaches, right? And so we go into it and I let him, he goes on his soapbox and whatever. And so, you know, number one, aside from coaching, what do you do, <laughs> right? If the only thing you do is coaching all yep. day, then you, you're, well, get out of here, right? But then number two, and I think you can appreciate this as an ex-athlete, you know, have you ever lined up Regardless of the skill level, not not pros, college, it doesn't matter. Have you ever lined up and absolutely had to tell someone the right thing to do at the right time and or executed the right thing at the right time? Like, do you know the pressure of third and one? Yeah. Yep. He was like, what's third and one? 31? Third and third and one. Right? So we you we have to get a stop. We cannot give you 36 inches. Right? We have 36 inches to make a stand to get you off the field. Or I need 37 inches to continue this drive because we have to score. Yep. Yep. And so that that's where the the upsprout like internet like coach this. Hey, I'm coach one, two, three. And it's like, yeah, dude, like, you know, <laughs> yes, we may dude, I'm selling that by the way, coach one, two, three. That's a thing. Nowadays. Yeah, like like yes, <laughs> y- yes, you've purchased this how to coach people packet on the internet, which may have value in it. Right. Yeah, yeah. But a part of coaching, w- w- the point I'm trying to make is what you said earlier. Part of being a coach is saying, you know what? I don't have the answer. Like, I don't know. And I think yeah. that's where these like pseudo psycho new coaches who know everything. And it's like, well, dude, if you, if, you know, <laughs> if you know everything, then why, what are you doing? Right. Yep. So, so yep. be a real value to somebody. And I think that, you know, the last thing I'll say is, uh, and my mentor coach told me this, uh, be afraid of the person who has every answer, like oh you my know, God, all yeah. the answers to everything. Yep. That's a red flag for sure. 
I've seen a lot of, uh, over the past pandemic months, I've seen a lot of, you know, 18-year-old life coaches pop up too. <laughs> and dude, it's a... Uh, I, I love teens. I mean, that's actually like the, the that in college age is really where my heart always goes to because it's always, yeah. you know, it's like overnight you graduate from high school, you no longer have any curfew or you're, you're legally an adult. You don't have the restrictions that you used to have. And now all of a sudden you're supposed to have the answers to what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Just like overnight, literally. You know, and that's why, especially the 18 year old group, like 18 to 25 is why my heart really goes out to them. But I see the 18 year old coaches and I, I feel two things when I see this. It's like, for starters, I think back to where I was when I was 18 with my dad just dying two years earlier, raising my brother and sister. And it's like, there are some life experiences that I've had that I could speak into somebody else's life right now. But there's no way that I could talk to somebody who's 40, 50, 60 years old about running a business because I've never done it. And an important part that I learned about being a coach early on is I can never take somebody to where I haven't been myself. I can give them opinions, but I cannot lead them. If they want to use me as a sounding board, cool, but I cannot lead them into an area of life that I've never been in myself. And that's important, I feel, for a lot of coaches starting out, too. Because even though you're going to be a coach, and let's say it was an, a gentleman who I was talking to, he's a friend of mine, he has a cybersecurity business just like me. He's like, you know what? I'm going to be a life coach now. I'm like, sweet. You want really what I hear you saying in that is that you want to positively impact other people's journeys through life. You know, maybe the, a coach is not the way to do that because let's look at your experiences in life because you can only bring somebody as far as you've gone right now. So what are you going to do? And this is important when you find a coach too that I've seen. <laughs> You need to find a coach that continues to evolve and learn themselves. And who is the coach's coach, right? Because even as a coach right. right now too, dude, I, I bet you you lean on people right now. You still have mentors and coaches, right? Heavily. I mean, if, <clears throat> yes, <laughs> very much so. You have to evolve. You have to develop. And I think that, you know, even to tie the politics thing back into it, there are some things, some frameworks, some value systems that I had five, six, seven years ago that to your point, as you rise in stature, as you rise in success, you know what? Like, let me, I'm not sure if this person's even still in business. Let me just drop an email and say, hey, I advised you of this, or this was my framework of my best practice six or seven years ago. Let's jump on a quick Zoom and let me tell you why I think I may have been wrong or the way I see things now is different. And I think that, you know, the moment that you become stagnant and static is, you know, the moment that you're no longer a contributor to your ecosystem. And I think that I was not only, you know, am I hard pressed to see life from that perspective as a, as an athletic coach, I was faced with, I mean, that was the only way for me to find success. So I got my first head coaching job at 30 years old. I was an athletic director. I was the youngest AD in the city of Houston, about 15 years, 20. And so nice. I would be coaching against guys who had been coaching longer than I've been alive. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so yeah. it's like, I, I'm not gonna, I reach down in my bag of experience and it's only this deep. <laughs> so, so I've got to, I've got to, I've got to continue to learn. I've got to get better. I've got to stress test. I've got to ask a lot of questions. Even if those questions sound dumb, I've got to go back and look at old film, old footage. I've got to look at why this guy's winning, why this guy isn't. Yeah. Take, right. So, so you have to remain curious. You have to remain deeply curious, but then, you know, next to curious, you have to remain humble. And the moment you think you've got this thing figured out is the moment that some spry 30-year-old is going to come and whoop your tail on a Friday night. Right on. 
Right on, man. That's great. There's a, there's one thing we need to come back to before we before we hop off the show today, and that's our police. <laughs> I said we were going to come back to it. I got my note here. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your take on this, man, because, it, I mean, we started out with politics, and then we went into just life and amazingness, really. So it, it's, it's interesting to me because you are from a, a Republican state. You're from a red state. You're an African-American. You know, you're a social capitalist. So you've got like a blend of ideals that exist there. You know, where do police fall into this? Because there's these cries of defunding and everything. But you, we both recognize that there's reform. And this is back to that 80% of America, right, that needs that, or that understands they're in the same boat, that there has to be reform about a bunch of topics. But... Police force is one of them too. So where are you? What, yeah. What's your idea, man? Because I'm curious. Because I, I genuinely ask these questions because I'm sincere and I, I like I like helping people. And I, I I was going to be a law enforcement officer, you know. So and I'm glad at this point that I didn't do that. I still had a private security agency, but I'm glad I didn't go into that because I feel like I have more impact. And it just it was a different realm for me. So where do you? What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah. So a point of context for me. Um, my first interaction, well, the first time I had a gun put on me by the police, I was nine years old. Wow. Um, the last time I had a gun put on me, I was in Cleveland in 2016. Uh, I'm trying to think how old I was, I guess 34, uh, um, in 2016. So nine years old, I'm, I'm just trying to give some context to like why I see the police the way I do. Yeah. So nine years old, I'm on the Greyhound bus. My parents are sending me to Louisiana to see my grandparents. This is again, like back in the early nineties, we can stick a kid on the bus and, you know, they have somebody pick them up. Right. So, uh, we're in the middle of East Texas, like dead nowhere. And the bus gets pulled over by a convoy of police officers. And looking at it now, it was just a bunch of old, like, casino women on the bus. <laughs> I was like, the youngest kid. <laughs> like, just a bunch of old people, right? Like, yeah. mind their business. I'm literally reading a spot. My parents packed me uh, a paper sack of fried chicken, two strawberry sodas, and, like, a stack of super... I'm literally reading Superman comics books. I'm a kid, right, on this bus. They pull me off the bus. They tell me that they have reason to believe that drugs are being um, brought across the state line from Texas to Louisiana, and they had a tip that it was me. I'm nine years old, dude. What? So I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big kid. Now. I mean, so I'm, I mean, I'm sure I look like maybe like a preteen or I'm a big yeah, kid, yeah. but I'm nine, right? So I call my parents, collect from the payphone at this, you know, corner store. I can't tell you the city that we got put over in. Um, I'm crying. I'm scared. I don't want to go to jail. I'm nine, so I don't have ID, right? And so, I mean, that experience could have gone so bad. And when I say I'm so thankful, like, that could have been really bad, right? So that was the first time I had a gun put on me by the police. The last time I had a gun put on me by the police was Cleveland 2016. Um, I'm out there doing a speaking gig, and they've got me in this, this like, uh, what they call it, like a Nissan Sentra. It's like the size of like a tuna can, right? So I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm like taking up the whole thing and I get put over for speeding and I was a small little town outside of Cleveland. I, you know, didn't know speed limit. I take responsibility for that. So this short little petite white lady comes out. She's a police officer and I've got 
my insurance on the dashboard on my on my iPhone. I've got my license on the dashboard, and I've got my hands on the ceiling, which is about here. Like my hand was like wow. touches like wow. this itty bitty little car. Which again, in 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 hindsight, I'm sure the optics. I mean, I'm sure I was like a gorilla driving like this clown <laughs> car, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> so I get, I get, she pulls over and I can see it like draw down on me and, and out of the mirror. And, and Rick, I mean, I, so I dropped the window down 10, 20%. And when I tell you, dude, I, it, as eloquent as I can speak, as even killed as I can be, as like whatever you want to call it, I was fighting tears. I was fighting anger. Yeah. I was fighting, want to punch her in her face. I was fighting like whether to like wrestle the, I mean, I, I, like that's not how you want to die, and you know this is in the middle of what's been a ten-year killing spree of black men on the side of the streets, and so you know for for the folks watching and listening who think like you know like that person should have done this, George Floyd should have done that. George Floyd is from Houston. Like I know two of his classmates personally that went to Yates High School with him. Like I, I'm not saying the guy was a saint, but he was a warm-spirited, good person, right? And so. You know, I'm saying all this to say, like, it is my theory on how to fix police comes from that those experiences. Um, I don't think that there should be career police officers. Um, kind of what we talked about with politicians. Yeah. You know, so my neighbor in front of me is a cop. My best friend is a cop. And, you know, both of them just Sunday, he was washing his truck and he was talking about like, you know, yeah, I struggle with not even reading people's license plate when he's in line at Chick-fil-A in his personal vehicle, just looking up in the rearview mirror and reading the plates. I mean, he doesn't even have a computer to, to scan license. He's like, you're, you're, you're so on edge all day. In addition to that, half of them smoke cigarettes, dip, or taking Red Bull, taking monster drinks to make it through their day. It's, um, I say this sympathetically, but that is a very hard job. Like that is a, that's a hard job to have, um, not just to make it for you to make it home to your family every day, but you know you can be a bad dentist and maybe drill a wrong tooth in somebody, and now their tooth hurts for a day. You can be a bad baker and like burn a loaf of bread. If you're a bad cop, somebody may die. Yeah, right. So yeah. the idea you don't get days off, and I say that like compassionately. I don't know that the idea of a cop working the beat. You know, I don't know what the answer is. I don't have the stats to prove it or to, to, to establish like what the threshold should be. But the idea of being deeply, deeply suspicious of everyone that you interact with for eight to 12 hour shifts is not sustainable. Oh, sure. That's the it's the neurological patterns and they get stronger and stronger the longer you go through. That's an interesting perspective, man. It's uh, I think back to even like the Secret Service, you know, and different federal law enforcement agencies. I know specifically the Secret Service, they don't allow them to serve in the field like on protective details yeah, forever. Exactly. Right. And they, they stick them at a desk, too. That way they can sort of break those mindsets of like something's bad. Something bad is going to happen every single day in my life. You know, it's it's along the same concept. But that's something you got there, man. I think you know, it's interesting. I, I have no idea how to implement that successfully. You know, but if the Secret Service did it, maybe that's something that we can maybe use as a model across the board. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know I, how you begin to implement it. I don't have the short term answer, but yeah, 
to your point, the, the Secret Service provides for a great muse. And I think, again, like entrepreneurs, you may be able to take from it and innovate and make it even better. I don't know. But it, it just goes back to to why you and I like the color purple so much. Right. I mean, yeah. We all, yeah. You know, you, you want to make it home to your family. So do I. You want cops to catch bad guys, so do I, right? And so, like, we we have so much more in common than we we do, you know, the things that we see different. And it's just, you know, having these disarming conversations like this um, is how, you know, is how we is how we build the best version of our country. I love it, my man. That's awesome. And where can everybody find you and follow you? Social media. Where yes. can they connect with you? So, social media, uh, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook. Um, Coach Cam Cares on those social media platforms. And then the chorus, uh, the book, Alpha Redefined. I just I just created a digital magazine, Complementaries. It's free. Just grab it there. It's kind of just a creative piece that I made. Those can be found on CoachCamCourses.com. Nice. That's awesome, man. Coach, I really appreciate you being on, man. And the, I think the disarming conversations is my favorite part of today. <laughs> it's uh, it's what I live for, brother. It, it is. Keep yeah. it on your beard, too, man, because that thing is sick. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt, baby. You can start to get creative with it at this point, I think, and shape it up a little bit. Or are you just going to keep going? What you thinking? Well, so, so here's a funny thing. So I, I do, I, I braid it at night sometimes. You can kind of shape it, contour it. Yeah. It's getting woolly. It's getting woolly here. So I, I, I may trim it and play with it a little bit. I've got a. I've got COVID trust issues, man. So I, it'll be a while till I'm back in the barbershop. So I'll be in the mirror kind of butching at it myself. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, brother. Thanks again, my man. I appreciate you being on. No, thanks for the opportunity. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.